All right, would you take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 1, please? Romans chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, find your place in Romans 1, and we're going to look at verse 18 as a starting point today. Romans 1 and verse 18. Follow along as I read. The Bible says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. I'm going to talk to you this morning about this thought in verse 18, the wrath of God. And you want to talk about a subject like this, and we could do a whole study on exactly what the wrath of God is and what it might look like and what it might consist of. Um, the Bible does definitely have a lot to say about the wrath of God. Um, people might question it if it's a real thing or not. But honestly, when the Bible talks about it, the Bible doesn't go about to establish it or to prove it. The Bible simply states it as fact. Verse 18 is, is a reflection of that. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Um, it's stated as something that is reality. And we, we consider God, and we see, consider what the Bible says concerning Him, that, that God is love. God is a God of love. God is love. God, His character uh, involves a lot of things that really form a whole spectrum or for a full scope of, of who God is in His nature. As at the same time that God is love, God is also a God of wrath, intense wrath. And some people might say, why do you, why do you try to claim to believe in or worship a God, a, a God who's angry, a God who's a God of wrath? And people might try to, uh, to avoid the truth of it or justify their own uh, reasoning and their own thinking by sort of trying to diminish the fact that God is a God of wrath as if it's a negative, as if it's a bad thing. Um, the truth of the matter is, again, the Bible doesn't try to prove it. The Bible simply states it as fact. This is part of God's nature and His character. And the truth is, is that every person, every person who leaves this world without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is going to experience the wrath of God. 
And some may wonder again why, why God even possesses wrath as a part of His nature. Well, the answer to that question, if you're going to ask that question, the answer to that question is actually found in these verses that we've read this morning. God tells us in the clearest of words why His wrath is kindled against sinful mankind. And so I want us to look at this passage together and notice some reasons for the wrath of God found here. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to help us, but we're going to unpack these verses. And the challenge this morning is is to, number one, let the Word of God impact your life, have influence. Number two, have a humble and a yielded spirit uh, to the Holy Spirit and let God reveal truth to you today. And let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to do those things. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. Lord, we need you. We need your spirit. And Father, it's not about men. It's not about anything other than the truth from God's word. And so we ask that you would take it since you gave it to us and that you would apply it to the heart. Lord, that you would use it for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. First thing I want you to notice is verse 18. I want you to notice man's rebellion toward God. And we ask the question, why is wrath part of the nature of God? Well, God gives us in clear words why His wrath is kindled against mankind. And first we find man's rebellion toward God. In verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. A couple of things here. First of all, we see the nature of man and and his sinfulness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And without taking the time to really break those two words down, unrighteousness and ungodliness, it really deals with the thoughts of man and the actions of man. It deals with the nature of man and and the... uh, who what we are as, as in, our, uh, in our sinful nature, and then it also deals with the choices that man makes. So, in other words, uh, it's talking about the fact that man in his nature is ungodly. By nature, we are ungodly. We are also ungodly by choice. In our natural state, a man has no relationship with God. Man is in rebellion against God. And, and that is by nature, and it is also by choice. In Romans chapter 3, just turn over one page or so, we find this statement to be true. In verse 9, what then? Are we better than they? No and no wise, for we before, uh, have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And we follow the the truth that we are ungodly by nature out. What we will find is that the Bible teaches us that we are actually completely and totally enslaved in our natural state to our sinfulness. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible tells us in verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, 
among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. People like to think that they have control. They like to think that they're making their own choices, living the life how they want. But the Bible tells us, actually, you walk according to the course of this world. You walk or live according to the prince of the power of the air. You're not in control over anything. Your nature is dictating to you, and you just fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And by nature, we're children of wrath. Man's rebellion toward God begins in the fact that we are just ungodly by nature. But look back in verse 18, because there's another element here, another sign of man's rebellion against God which incurs God's wrath. Verse 18 says, not only are we ungodly and unrighteous in our, in our nature and by our choice, but then the last part of the verse says, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So God, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, the ones who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now that word hold there means to suppress. And it's a, it's a descriptive word in the fact that it tells us that mankind has access to God's truth. Mankind has the ability to understand and know God's truth. We come in contact with God's truth, but we suppress God's truth. And what it means is we hold it at length, at arm's length or farther, and we don't allow the truth of God to work in our life. That's what it means to hold the truth in unrighteousness, to suppress it, to keep it away, to not allow it to do the work that God wants it to do in our life. This incurs the wrath of God. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more clearly in just a second. But the idea here is that man lives in rebellion against God because he knows the truth. He's had access to the truth. He has the ability to allow the truth to work in his life, but he suppresses it. He doesn't want it to. He doesn't allow it to. We see man's rebellion toward God, but look at the next couple of verses, verses 19 and 20, and we see man's revelation of God. What is this truth? that man suppresses. The Bible says in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest or made known in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they, that's man, who's rebelling against God, who has access to the truth of God, who's suppressing it so that they ultimately are without excuse. Now, again, what is this truth that man suppresses? Well, it's the very revelation of God Himself. Because verse 19 says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. See, God, God has this desire, and this desire is that mankind would know Him. And so God is not withholding Himself. God is not 
hiding himself from mankind. God is actually revealing himself. And the reason he's revealing himself is because he wants to reconcile mankind to himself. God wants all men to come to know him personally. And so God manifests himself in numerous ways every day to mankind. Notice the place of God's revelation. Verse 19 says, That which may be known of God is manifest in them. In them. Here's the place of God's revelation. He says, That which may be known of God is revealed in them. And the idea is that men have all the truth that they need to know that that there is a God that exists and they have all the truth already inside of them. You understand that? God doesn't God is <coughs> excuse me revealing himself in numerous ways, but he's already revealed himself in the heart. The heart of mankind. The truth of God is innate in the heart and the mind of mankind. There's a lot of people say, well, you, you, you can't know, you can't understand, you can't possibly know. Well, God says, yes, you can know because I've shown you, I've given it to you, and I've revealed myself in your heart. Now, let me illustrate that. Go to Romans chapter 2. Romans 2 and verse 14. Paul here writing to Jewish people at this point in time, at least in chapter 2, and he says, to them in verse 14 for when the gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law these the gentiles having not the law are a law unto themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another what is paul saying here He's talking about, first of all, what he's going to do is he's going to show that everybody's a sinner. Just because you're a Jew doesn't mean that you're special. You're still a sinner before God. You need to be saved just like the Gentiles. That's what he's going to prove. And he does that by saying, listen, the Gentiles don't have the law that you have. But in actuality, the Gentiles do by nature the very things that are contained in the law and it, what does it show? It shows that, that God has revealed Himself in the heart. How do they know right from wrong? How do they do the thing, things contained in the law when they don't actually have the law? Well, the idea is the reason they do is because God has already written it in their heart. And it's the same principle, the same idea that, listen, everybody has a moral standard of some, po- of some sort. Everybody does. Whether you're a God-believer or a God-hater, you still have a moral standard in your heart. And listen, the thing is, our moral standard in in some ways really does agree. Like, for example, you and I both know that murdering somebody is wrong. We know that innately in our heart. We know that raping somebody is innately wrong. But see, we, where does that standard come from? If we went to every single person, is it okay? And like, if we want to hold some neutral standard, like, hey, what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is good for me. We should all just get along. That's what people like to say, right? But if that were really true, then you have no leg to stand on and no ground to stand on when somebody says, well, I don't think it's wrong to murder. 
I don't think it's wrong to rape somebody. You have no leg to stand on if what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is what's good for me. Right? We're going to be accepting of all these standards. Then you have no leg to stand on. But the fact is, in your heart and your mind, like, wait, no, I don't agree with that. Wait, no, that's not right. That's not wrong. That's wrong. Where does that come from? It comes from the law of God that's written in the heart. It comes from the fact that innately we know there is a standard of right and a standard of wrong, and it's God's. Why? Because that which may be known of God is revealed unto them, in them, for God hath showed it unto them. The natural right and wrong inside of a person It comes from somewhere. And Paul is saying, and God is saying, that it's because God has showed it to them Himself. He's revealing Himself. There's a true story regarding Helen Keller, and you know who Helen Keller is probably. Um, She had a disease that left her blind and deaf and mute all at the same time from a very young girl. She was, she couldn't see. In fact, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, she was born this way. She couldn't see, she couldn't hear, and she couldn't speak. All the things that we communicate with, all the faculties we communicate with, And there was a lady named Ann Sullivan who worked tirelessly and selflessly with Helen Keller to help her learn how to communicate in some way. And eventually, Helen Keller came to learn to communicate through touch. And she even learned actually how to talk because of touch. And this selfless woman putting all of her time and all of her energy into teaching and helping Helen Keller learn. And there was a time when after she was able to communicate with Helen Keller that Ann Sullivan tried to tell her about God. And communicate and tell her things concerning God. Helen Keller stopped her and, and, and the response that she gave was this. I already know he exists. I just didn't know what his name was. Isn't that powerful? A girl who can't see, who can't speak, who can't hear, but in her heart she knew God existed. Why? What does it tell us? What does it teach us? It teaches us that even without a Bible... Mankind can know that God is real, that He is true. Because God has revealed Himself in the heart of man. Beyond that, go to Psalm 19. Keep your place here in Romans chapter 1. But go to Psalm 19. And look with me in Psalm 19, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, The heavens... Declare the glory of God, and the firmament 
showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. In other words, the psalmist is saying that the heavens are just shouting the glory of God. The firmament, it means expanse, is showing the expanse of of the universe, shows God's handiwork. And every day and every night, they are showing the knowledge of God. And there's not a language, there's not a people group, there's not anyone in existence that, that is not reached where their voice is not heard. Beyond the general revelation that there is a God, we also see in John chapter 1 and verse 9 that the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. There's no language no vo- nor voice where, or where their voice is not heard. There's not anybody who, is, who, who, who is eludes or has escaped the fact of the knowledge of God. And why is this? Because Jesus Christ gives light to every man that comes in the world. And God has revealed it unto them in their heart. Innately, you know that God exists, that He's real. We see that God reveals how we can know Him personally in Romans chapter 10 in verse 17. Romans 10 in verse 17. Most of you know this verse, but we'll just look at it. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. How can we know Him personally through faith? It's, it's through faith. You're not going to know God any other way than except through faith. Except for this, God is, it's not blind faith that we're talking about here. Because God is revealing Himself over and over and over and over again, proving He exists. But you have to embrace it and believe it by faith. That comes through the Word of God. But why is the wrath of God revealed from heaven Well, because of our sin nature, but beyond that, because of the fact that there is a knowledge of God, a truth of God, but it's being suppressed. Rebellion against God. Not letting that truth penetrate or work in my life. Holding that truth in unrighteousness. We see the place of the revelation. Go back to our text in Romans 1, because I want you to see the power of God's revelation. In verse 20, Romans 1 in verse 20, the Bible says, For the invisible things of Him, that's God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Verse 20 says, All even the invisible attributes of God are are demonstrated, in creation, and we understand them even through the things that are made. We have an understanding of, the, of even the invisible attributes of God through the things that are made. That's creation, even to the point of understanding His eternal power and Godhead, that He's a trinity. Here's the power 
of God's revelation of Himself. The power of God's revelation of Himself lies in its scope. God has placed His truth all about us, everywhere around us, to the point that we can understand even some of God by the creation of things. Listen, listen. God's person is on display every single day, every moment, in everything. God's person is on display to the world every day in everything. And even just normal, natural things. I mean, think about this. Think about this. Think about the power and the life that is contained in a tiny little seed that when it's put into the ground, eventually becomes a a, a giant tree. Where does that come from? How does that happen? Do plants have brains and intelligence that they can just like, oh, I need to do this so I can evolve into that so that I can become this over here. Do plants have brains and intelligence to do that? Where does it come from? So much life in one tiny little seed. Or think about the fact that there are birds that are born in one place over here And after they're born, they migrate thousands and thousands and thousands of miles across the ocean to a place they've never been, but they go to the exact point that they're supposed to go to. And how do they know that? How do they navigate that? By instinct. And this is the place where they live their life. This is the place where they breed and mate. And then they travel again thousands and thousands and thousands of miles back to another place where their young are born. To a place they've never been. How does that happen? Where does it come from? Or think about the fact that there are giant telescopes that even men have made that can view objects out in space that are over 4 billion light years away. Four billion light years away. Remember where we read in Psalm 19 that the firmament showeth his handiwork? That word firmament means the expanse. It shows the handiwork of God. It shows that God is big. It shows that God is powerful. And who are you and who am I to to refuse and rebel against him? You wonder why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven? The rebellion of insignificant, puny, sinful men. Isaiah chapter 40. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it to you. Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 12, says, Who hath measured the waters? in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with the span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who's done that? Well, the Bible goes on to say that it's God who does that. Who's measured all the waters of the oceans, in the hollow of his hand. The telescopes that see four billion light years out into space. Who's measured that with a span? You know what a span is? It's the tip of the thumb to the tip of the finger. 
God measures out the expanse of the universe like that. Who's weighed the dust of the earth, the mountains in scales. God's done that. What is it telling us? It tells us that God is really big. God is really powerful. And He's revealed Himself and is revealing Himself and His person is on display every single day. You know that the earth, the earth is 25,000 miles in circumference? And scientists have attempted to weigh the earth. And scientists say that the earth, the earth weighs 6 septillion, 588 sextillion tongue, tons. Do you even know what that is? Like those are beyond comprehension, right? But they've attempted to weigh the earth, and they say that the earth weighs this enormous amount that you can't even possibly fathom, and yet the earth hangs on nothing. The earth spins on its axis at a thousand miles per hour. At the same time as it's spinning a thousand miles per hour on its axis, it is careening through space around the sun at a thousand miles every minute. And so it's spinning at a thousand miles an hour while it's careening through space at a thousand miles per minute in a yearly orbit. And we think about these kinds of things and our mind just goes boom like this. Can't hardly fathom it. And how in the world does it all stay together? Why doesn't it all just go out into space somewhere? Why doesn't it just blow up? Why, how do things stay together? Well, the Bible tells us in Colossians 1 and verse 17 that by Him, Jesus Christ, all things consist. The word, word consist means to hold together. He's the one who holds it together. His person is on display every moment of every day. You think that light from the sun travels at 186,000 miles to and 281 miles per second. 186,281 miles per second. That's light from the sun. At that rate, it would take 125,000 years just to travel across the Milky Way galaxy. One galaxy. And there's millions and millions of galaxies. But you know what? Light doesn't have to travel to all those galaxies. Light doesn't have to travel anywhere except for right here on this tiny little speck of a planet where you have your existence. Why does God do that? Because he's revealing himself, who he is. And it's on display every single day. And when you say all this just happened by random chance processes, an explosion, not a chance, not a chance. And if a person is honest, intellectually honest with the truth of God, they know in their hearts that God exists. God did all of these things to prove that God is real, that He possesses great power. And it is not a wonder at all that the Bible says it's the fool who hath said in his heart there is no God. 
Not a wonder. But I want you to notice something else. We see the power. We saw the place of God's revelation. That's in the heart. It's in creation. We see the power of God's revelation. That it's on display every day. But I want you to note the purpose. Look in verse 20 of Romans 1 again. At the end of verse 20, the Bible says, so that they are without excuse. Here's the purpose of God's revelation. So that they are without excuse. The purpose is to force mankind to a moment of decision. God commands that every person bow before Him in humble repentance and worship. However, not all will. And therefore, God has given man every conceivable revelation of himself and has left those who refuse to make peace with God without excuse when they stand before Him. If they continue in their state of sin, they will not have an excuse. And here's the truth of the matter. At some point, every person is going to stand before God. Whether you think it's true or not, it doesn't change the truth of it. You're going to. And when you do... You're going to give an account. And there's not going to be an opportunity to say, well, God, you didn't give me enough information to believe in you. God, you didn't give me enough truth to decide whether you exist or not. No, he says, I've revealed myself in the heart. I've left it to you now. You brought, to, brought you to a point, a point of crisis, a point of decision. And all of this is so that you have no excuse. You're going to stand in God's courtroom. The things about God are clearly seen and understood. There's no hint of the fact that He does not conclusively exist. And those who refuse to believe in Him have been faced with all of that evidence and they're going to be left with no excuse. They're going to be guilty as charged. They're going to face God in His wrath. They're going to hear the charges read in clear terms against them. And they're going to be forced to bow before Him and acknowledge that He is God. To deny this truth here, that we're going to stand before God, Oftentimes, mankind will say, well, you just can't know that He exists. And you can't know if there's life after death. You know what they're doing? Trying to deny this truth as well. The reason they are doing that is because they do not want to be accountable to a holy God. It's rebellion in the heart. And so in order to justify... They come up with all kinds of reasons, which are just excuses. We see man's rebellion toward God. We see man's revelation of God. But our text also shows us man's rejection of God. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, so God's revealed it, it's innate in the heart, His Person is on display every day in everything so that it can clearly be understood. 
They don't have an excuse. It's there. And verse 21, because that when they knew God, ah, they know He exists. They knew it. They glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Here's man's rejection of God. When man has been faced with the truth of God and he makes his stand against God, he's moved into the realm of rejection of God. This rejection of God has consequences. This rejection of God is actually seen in a couple of areas in a person's life. First of all, they didn't give glory to God. Verse 21 says, When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. And what does that mean? It means that they refused to magnify and exalt God as God. The primary goal <coughs> in their life <coughs> excuse me, is to magnify and give glory to self, not to God. Men fail to honor God when they refuse to give God His rightful place. He owns us by right of creation. He will own us by right of redemption if we'll give Him the chance. But men fail to honor God in general when they don't uh, uh, give Him His rightful place, and God deserves that place. But men walk in open rebellion against God and actually give Him no place. Therefore, He is not glorified in them, and as a result, they incur the wrath of God in the foolishness of their choices and decisions. Now, notice this also. Verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. They didn't give God any gratitude. They had no gratitude toward God. They had no gratitude toward God. While they deny that God exists, all the while... All that God has actually graciously given them, they use for their own selfish gains without a single thought being given to the fact that the only reason I exist is because of the grace of God. You understand what this means? You understand what this is saying? They didn't give God glory and they weren't thankful. And yet every day they live a life only by the grace of God. The fact that you breathe, the fact that you have air, the fact that you have strength to stand up, the fact that you have a mind to think with, the fact that you have eyes to see with, the fact that you can hear truth, all of these things are from the grace of God. And not once do they give honor or glory to God or thanks to God for the life that they have. all been granted by a gracious God who could take you in a minute, in a second, who could think a thought and end you. Not a wonder why the wrath of God is revealed from heaven because of man's rebellion. When God is graciously revealing Himself and men reject Him, You know, the truth of the matter is that people live their lives, they try to heap to themselves treasures and wealth or make a happy life for themselves. And 
Listen, every billionaire that's ever existed is only that because of the life and breath and the mind and the strength that God has granted to him or her. But you know what? It doesn't come without consequences because notice what the Bible says in verse 21 about their life. These kinds of people. They knew God. They didn't glorify God. They weren't thankful. And here's a description of their life. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Interesting phrase, vain in their imaginations. You know what this means? It means empty reasonings. It means futile existence. In other words, in their rejection of God, the life that they think that they are living is actually futile. A futile existence. It's a hollow and an empty life that they're actually living. They're living for themselves, or so they think. And in reality, they are merely wasting the time that God has given. They fill their days with themselves, but eventually those days are going to end, and they're going to find that all of the days that they've been granted have been wasted, and it's entirely vain because now I'm going to stand before God. What does it mean then for a person, you know, who lives a life and they accomplish, quote, great things in this world and in this life, and in the end they die and they stand before God? What does it mean? It means actually that it doesn't matter what you produce in this life. If you stand before God without Him, it was a wasted life, a hollow and empty life. Oh, but you deny that God exists. So what do you have? You only have today. You only have this life. But in reality, you actually have a lot more than that because the Bible tells us this. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? The only thing that you really possess is this eternal soul. The only thing that you really have that is of value is this eternal soul. And what profit and what gain is there then in this life if you have the riches of the world, but you end up dying without the Lord and you lose your soul? It would be better for a person to never be born than to do that. If you die without Jesus Christ, lost, you've actually lost the only thing of any value. Not only do they have a hollow life, they're vain in their imaginations, empty, futile existence, but the Bible says they're blind in their life too. In verse 21, their foolish heart was darkened. This verse says that when they turn their back on the light of God's truth, their foolish heart becomes darkened. It means to obscure. It means you can't see straight, and you never will. What men seem to not understand is that 
the only alternative to light of truth is darkness. There's no unknown, there's no in-between, there's no I cease to exist, life is over. No, no, the only alternative to light is darkness. When you move away from the light, you move into darkness. In real, and what's hap what happens is, is that men cannot see the reality of the life that they are actually currently living. They're completely blind to it. They're living there. They think they're happy. They think they're whole. All the while, the cancer of sin is destroying them from within. And then, when it's too late, they realize that God is real, that heaven is real, that hell is very real, the wrath of God is real, and that is a horror that is beyond words. Because it's too late. God has already revealed Himself. And mankind is rejected. And now you incur the truth that you reject. And ultimately, we get to verse 22. And verse 22 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools. When man turns on the Lord, he closes his eyes to the truth of God. He really thinks he's something special. Professing themselves to be wise. He thinks he's something special. But his perception of himself is not reality. His perception of himself is that he has all the angles figured out and all the bases covered. But in reality, God says that while they think that they're so smart, they're nothing but fools. You know the Richard Dawkins of the world? God-haters, God-deniers. They've got it all backwards. In the world's eyes, Christians are the biggest fools in existence. Because Christians miss out on the pleasures of the world.